Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel you're going to find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is going to be on there. You're going to find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts all that you can follow along with and the best part is that it's completely free they're also around 10 to 20 minutes long meaning if you're short of time you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout new workouts will go live on the channel every tuesday and thursday and they're going to be accompanied by an amazing backdrop which i'm sure you're all going to enjoy so if you want to find the channel just search elliot hasoon into youtube and you'll find it very easily and please subscribe it makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Hello team and welcome to episode 181 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Scott Bapti. Scott is a nutritionist, an author, and the creator of hundreds, if not thousands, of high-protein recipes. Scott's journey began with a personal interest in health and fitness, which ended up taking him to the front of multiple high-profile fitness magazine covers and the bodybuilding stage. However, things have changed just a little bit since then. Scott was getting phenomenal results whilst eating quote-unquote normal foods and had multiple friends and family asking him for meal plans. He combined his culinary skills and his interests to create the high-protein handbooks. He's since created an abundance of delicious high-protein recipes to help those who want to improve their health and fitness and keep their food exciting. In this conversation, you can expect to learn why Scott focuses on protein versus more popular dieting approaches such as keto, how to improve in the kitchen if you're a total beginner or a self-proclaimed lazy cook, the role that exercise plays even while staying on top of your nutrition, along with much, much more. So without further ado, Scott Bapti. Scott, welcome to the show. How are you today? Very well. Thank you for inviting me on. Thank you for being here. So for those who may have not come across you or your work before, who are you and what is it that you do? Uh, so I would say I'm a sports nutritionist by trade, but people probably know me for uh, creating high protein recipes. And my whole thing is to try and demystify a lot of the nonsense about healthy eating and getting in shape and make it as easy as possible for people to do it uh, all while eating foods they actually love without unnecessary restriction and without waiting for it to be over so they can go back to eating quote-unquote normally. So trying to make it as easy as possible for people to get from A to B. Yeah, I'm, I love that message. The accessibility is really important to me as well. Although it does feel like you and I, we're fighting against the wind because everyone wants to make it as complicated as possible. Well, then it's quite good because when we come along and tell people that actually you don't need to do all this garbage you've listened to and what we're telling you saves you a fortune because you don't need to buy all these supplements and smoothies that your neighbor's selling you that gives them a commission, then normally we're, we're going to be their friends. So where did it all begin for you? What sparked your interest in health and fitness? So I started, I was always sporty as a kid, uh, played lots of different sports and then went to uni and due to catered halls and lots of alcohol and not really knowing much about health and fitness or calories, I uh, ended up gaining weight. 
and wanted to do something about it. So first thing you do is you go to the gym and then you start reading the fitness magazines and then you start getting involved in bodybuilding.com forums and other <laughs> terrible places for information. But that started like my interest and got really into it and achieved what I wanted to do, burned all the body fat, got into uh, good shape. And then that led on to me wanting to get more into it and get even leaner. And yeah, eventually I ended up getting on the cover of men's fitness magazine a few times, been in muscle and fitness magazine. And yeah, so for me, that was like the pinnacle of winning at the gym. <laughs> like I got in one of these muscle mags. I won at the gym. And then from there, I set up a blog where I was just posting about what I was doing to get in shape and recipes that I was making and meal plans and so on. And um, while still working in an office, and then people started offering me money to write the meal plans. So it started as a side hustle and then went part-time in my job, went back to uni, did a master's in sports nutrition and the rest is history. Wow. So did you not ever think about competing whilst you were doing the shoots? I did. Uh, so BNBF, which is British Natural Bodybuilding Federation, uh, competed in their Scottish show in 2013 and did all right. I came second in the heavyweights, which was not planned. I, I planned to come in being the heaviest in the lightweights, but because of the distribution of people, I ended up coming in as one of the lightest in the heavies, which initially I thought I'd, I wasn't getting anywhere with this, but uh, yeah, I came second, got invited to the British finals, but didn't do them because I had no real love for competing. I just wanted to do it to see, you know, could I do it? What was it like? But it wasn't a hobby. So I don't want to prep again for this. I just want to go and relax and go on holiday and go out for beers without trying to work yeah. out which pint has got the fewest macros in it and everything. So yeah, I, did, I didn't do the fitness physique um, competition stuff, uh, but just, yeah, the, the bodybuilding. I don't think physique even, or it just about existed then, I think in 2000. It, it was might just starting off. Yeah. The uh, WBFF, I think was the federation, but yeah, it wasn't huge back then. I was trying to work it out when I saw that you were on the front of the magazine covers. I was like, what have I been reading those magazines? It was a little bit after. Yeah. Fortunately, I would have graduated the magazines by that point And hopefully... <laughs> no, that's fine. It would have been around yeah, 2012 to 2014. That was the sort of the, the fitness modeling days. Uh, but again, that was before I was married, before I had a kid and could go to the gym five times a week and didn't have the sort of constraints of what I've got, not even constraints, but life was very different and the goals and ambitions were very different back then too. Absolutely. So where you find yourself now is an interesting place given the fact that when you think of the typical bodybuilder, gym obsessed young male, they are thinking of food as let me get my protein in as easily and simply as I can. It's all like pretty gross and plain in a Tupperware box. Whereas you're cooking and what you do at the moment is completely opposite of that. So were you always quite interested in making your food presentable and tasty or is that a transition that eventually happened? No, I was into cooking. Uh, I never thought I'd ever have a cookbook or be known that really as the high protein recipe guy. I, when I did the the cuts and so on for the show and the fitness modeling, I was tracking macros back then. So just in case anybody doesn't know, tracking total amount of calories, protein, fat, carbs, and I had targets to hit and I had to take foods and make sure they fit those targets and so on. But doing that, yeah, I was really flexible. I would eat essentially anything that was reasonably healthy that would fit those targets. I certainly was not chicken, broccoli, and brown rice. I would make curries and bolognese and stews and so on, but just work out the macros 
for each recipe and made sure I hit the targets. So when I was doing plans for clients, they were getting the same kind of normal food. And they'd go, oh God, I didn't think I could eat curry or a type of pizza or sandwiches or what they were calling normal foods. I thought it had to be healthy foods. And it's like, well, not what a healthy food is. It kind of depends on the context and all foods can have their place and so on and so forth. So that style of eating and show people that if you're aware of what goes into the food, you can certainly have way more freedom over what you're eating and it just gives you more uh, information and more control. So that's how the, yeah, the first high protein handbook came about because the difference between it and other healthy recipe books was that I included the calories and the macros. So for people who were tracking, then this was a game changer for them because that didn't, wasn't really a thing in healthy uh, cookery books. It is becoming more of a thing now, but back then it was, it was rare. Yeah, I mean, the concept of tracking on my fitness that wasn't that common back then. What uh, year was it that you first released your or first ever book? I think it was quite early. I think it was 2017, maybe. Okay. Yeah. So flexible dieting had been around for quite a while. The concept of a barcode scanner in my fitness pal existed. So yeah. it wasn't super foreign. It was just that no one... It had I, I guess this is the thing. Whereas now people would just mm. say, yeah, just track what I eat on my fitness pal. That's, the, that's what they did. But back then... It was called IIFYM, you know, if it fits your macros or yeah. <laughs> flexible, like it had to have a name because it was a slightly unique concept. And I even remember that people used to say, oh, it doesn't work. Like people who didn't have an understanding shows that the, the lack of knowledge around people who, who got in excellent shape, but they didn't really know how they did it. They thought it was because of the specific food they were eating. Like I'm in great shape because I lift weights exercise and eat my chicken, broccoli, and brown rice without realizing that, well, your chicken, broccoli, and brown rice is very low calorie. And that's creating this calorie deficit, meaning you're consuming less calories than you're burning. And that's how you're losing body fat, which can be done with any foods, not just chicken, broccoli, and brown rice. So people try to say, oh, you can't lose weight while eating too much fruit or carbs or the one back in the day was Pop-Tarts. And fitness people used to troll the clean eaters by saying, look, I'm getting shredded by eating Pop-Tarts um, just to try and prove a point. And yes, I, I did do that at a time. But yeah, <laughs> it was, but people nowadays, there's a much better understanding of nutrition and how you the body maintains weight or gains weight or loses weight and, and generally what you need to do to, to change that. And which I think a lot of it has come down to MyFitnessPal, over I think 90 million users of the app. And there's lots of other ones as well. Uh, but that's certainly helped people become more aware of what's in what they're eating. But you got to that point through years of tracking, I assume, right? Because with intuitive eating, I heard you mentioned that that's what you're doing at this moment in time. But I think a lot of people are fooled into the idea that intuitive eating can be done from the very beginning. Whereas I would usually believe that most of us don't understand our internal cues or we do understand them, but the habits, the environment really make that a lot more difficult to keep attuned to. Yeah. Well, if we break this down slightly, if someone is trying to alter their body composition, we'll try and do it in the easiest way possible. So if that is just a case of making changes to the habit. So if, if there's some obvious wins, like reducing liquid calories or simply doing meal prep or adding more protein to a meal or trying to get five servings of fruit and veg a day, you can. If that works... Excellent. If not, then something with the structure of like a plan or setting somebody either just calorie targets or calorie and certain macro targets, then allows them to just get a better understanding of how much or how little of certain foods they might eat in a day. Because they might go five servings of fruit and veg day. Yeah, do this easily. Start tracking. They go, wow, actually it's closer to three or 
oh, I easily hit my protein target. Start tracking, go, wow, actually, I, I have done it one day out of seven. So it just increases awareness of, of what they're having, what they're not having. And then most of us are kind of creatures of habits. We eat similar breakfasts, similar lunches, similar dinners. So then we get an understanding of, well, I know roughly how much protein is in some chicken. I know that I should have chicken or protein with most meals. I know a takeaway pizza has way more calories than I ever imagined. So yeah, you you get to the point of once you have tracked or followed the meal plan or just have this understanding of of what's in the food you're eating, you can just start to freestyle and do your own thing. Yeah, absolutely. So, so people get a better idea of your philosophy and your understanding. I want to throw out a few common phrases or potential words that I want to get your take on. So the first one is calories in versus calories out. Is it everything or is there more to a calorie than meets the eye? Well, calorie is a unit of energy. Uh, a calorie is a calorie, but people think, oh, just count your calories and that's that's all. The, the calories you're going to be consuming are going to be coming from protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Each all have a different value. Like there's four calories per gram of protein and carbohydrate and nine calories per gram of fat. Um, and they have a different effect on the body, obviously, and work in totally different ways. So essentially, a calorie is a calorie, but there is more to it than that. Okay, fat burning foods. Non existent. <laughs> non existent. Expand. Non existent. So, fat burning foods, there's no such thing as a fat burning food, only fat burning quantities. Foods that may be reported as fat burning, your typical ones, uh, cayenne pepper, raspberry ketones green tea, but yeah, these are thermogenic to boost your metabolism. That is not untrue, but it's to such a meaningless degree that by you having two extra grains of rice, you have offset what drinking green tea instead of just drinking your normal tea that you like will do. They can have a thermogenic effect, but it's just minimal. It's not worth trying to include these foods if you don't particularly like them or think that it's going to help with fat burning insulin spiking foods and avoiding insulin spiking foods in your diet? So again, foods definitely can spike insulin. Again, this is physiology. Um, Unless you are someone that may have a a medical condition where you need to pay very particular attention to this, no, but the main one would be diabetes. Most people should focus more on overall quality of their food. Um, And also it's important to think of Most of the time we're eating, we're eating foods in the context of a mixed meal. We're not eating them individually. So another off the back of this is people saying, should I eat low GI foods? Well, if you look at the glycemic index of foods, it's measured on that food in isolation on an empty stomach. But if you're having, say, you've made a a curry and you've got a huge plate of vegetables with it, whether you have white or brown rice is really not going to make much of a difference because the other foods are impacting the rate that you digest the brown or white rice. Yeah, it's interesting. I used to know a guy back at the gym who his son had a form of diabetes, but they had to track his blood sugar constantly just to make sure he didn't go too low. He had that tendency. And they said that when he would have a pizza, for example, his his levels would just stay stable for like hours and hours on end because of the amount of fats in it as well. Although there's a, a gross amount of carbohydrates in that meal, he was like, literally, we would just keep an eye on his glucose monitor and it would just pretty much be stable for like the next 12 to 14 hours until it started clearing out. Yeah, it was really fascinating to me. So as you mentioned there, 
if someone is going to have maybe just a bowl of cereal, that might be completely different if they're going to, rather than yeah. having oats thrown in with protein and peanut butter, which are going to slow down. Exactly. First thing in the morning, empty stomach, I haven't eaten the night before, exactly. A bowl of Frosties is going to have a, a remarkably different effect on many different things like hunger levels, uh, yeah, blood sugar and so on, versus oats with some protein yogurt, for example. Yeah. So you've specifically focused on protein. You are the protein guy. What made you choose protein and really stick with it when, as I mentioned earlier, you probably could have been a lot more popular by just selling keto or selling low-carb foods, whereas, yeah, you went for protein, which I think is admirable. So tell me what your passion was around protein and why it's so important for us. So following the science for a start, everything (laughs) that I do, I try and base it on quality science and evidence, not things that are based in irrelevant populations using tiny sample sizes sponsored by supplement companies, for example. Looking at actually what's a substantial amount of peer-reviewed quality data showing. And having more protein in the diet is something that there are countless amount of studies show that there's benefits from doing so, multiple different benefits for people of all different ages, uh, shapes, sizes, goals, abilities, and so on. From my perspective, when I'm trying to help most of the people I'm working with, it's typically going to be around weight loss, burning, people wanting to lose excess body fat. So when you look at protein from that side of things, it uh, helps you to actually, studies showing that if you increase your protein by a mere 5% and so on, you can help with overall rates of fat loss because protein takes longer than carbohydrates and fat to digest. So it simply makes you feel fuller for longer because it takes longer to break down. Secondly, when you eat it, it releases certain hormones that again, regulate your appetite and again, make you feel fuller compared to just eating carbohydrates and fat. Um, And then when you throw in the part that if you're exercising as well, more protein is going to help you not suddenly turn into a bodybuilder. It's very difficult to build muscle, unfortunately. If only it was that easy. People think, oh, I don't want protein. I don't want to get huge muscles. I dare you. Try and get huge muscles. (laughs) I've tried for years and years and years, specifically trying to do this, and I do not have huge muscles. Um, But it helps with the recovery process. So even if you are not lifting weights, if you are a cyclist or you've just been to an exercise class, having a little bit more protein is going to hopefully help speed up that recovery process and just, again, allow you to train harder, sooner. Uh, so yeah, and it's, it's very easy to do. And it's, it's an inexpensive thing to do because you're probably already eating protein anyway. Basically, you are eating protein. All we need to do is to try and eat a little bit more of it, maybe more of the meals you're having or maybe add in separate servings as well. It can be animal source or, or plant-derived. Yeah, I've got a question on that later. So I will hold fire on the uh, plant-based side of things for now. But with that being said, do you find that a lot of people struggle to get protein and due to the satiation? Because what I find is when I got started with clients, we put a ton more veg in their plan. We put a ton more protein. They actually have a difficult time of digesting it or even consuming the amount that they should. Do you find the same? Not usually, but I suppose it depends on the place that we're coming from initially and how it's been done. If somebody typically just has, say, macaroni cheese for their tea and we're saying, cool, have macaroni cheese, two chicken breasts. Like, oh my God, this is so much. (laughs) I'm so full. Um, So what we're trying to just ease them into it a little bit more. Also, I think when people think they need to eat more protein, they go, uh, more chicken or protein shakes. You're like... 
Okay, there's lots more different sources of protein that we can do instead of for chicken or protein shakes. And the protein shakes is an interesting one because people often say, you know, should I start taking protein shakes? I say, well, if you struggle to hit your higher protein target through whole foods, then a protein shake is an inexpensive, convenient, uh, accessible way to do it. Um, You can just have a scoop of protein with your breakfast or before you go to bed or whatever. Timing is not as important as overall quantity of protein per day. So that might be one of somebody saying, I'm really struggling with that actual volume of food and say, well, let's just add in a shake rather than loading up on whole food sources of protein every meal. Yeah, I would say this is probably applicable to the majority of people. But if someone comes to you with potential thyroid problems, diabetes, would your approach differ slightly or would you keep things the same from a protein perspective? If someone comes to me with pre-existing medical conditions that affects how they eat, then I refer it anyway uh, and and don't get involved because my background is as a um, sports nutritionist, not as a dietitian. I don't have the clinical experience to talk about how that is interacting with their medical conditions. So most of the time, if someone says, I've got this, I'm saying, I'm sorry, I'm not the best person to speak to, which means by me, rather than me just giving them an answer that's not as good as it could be because I don't have the, the knowledge of that specific condition. If they go and speak to a dietitian, they'll get a better sure. answer. So yeah, I just avoid it as I'm doing with this question. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I, you see, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think that's 99% of the time the right call. And whether people take it on board or not, it's going to be a completely different story. But I always usually say that getting some form of better foods into your diet in terms of the quality compared to what you're doing now, eating a relatively decent serving of protein in accordance to your body weight and doing all the things that we would do on a health and fitness plan in regards to exercise and sleep is probably going to give you a better chance of navigating those issues. And I would rather cover those baselines first and then look to other things. Because I think a lot of people come in with the idea that they have a setback. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, you probably do, but let's get everything you can do first and then see why we can take this and what the, what issues exist once you do yeah. navigate all of those, uh, those I things agree. that we can I implement. Sort of 99% of what will produce the results is going to be the same regardless of what the specific goal or conditions are. It's going to be things like eat more fruit and veg Try and eat more whole grains as opposed to overly processed carbohydrate. Try and reduce your alcohol content. Try and move more. Try and sleep better. Uh, you know, it's not saying, ah, okay, you need to drink more matcha tea. And actually, what, what have you got? Okay, you need to eat specifically 100 grams of blueberries upside down within five minutes of waking up. Like, it's, it's not these things. It's the basics for most people. <laughs> I just say I completely agree. And on the note of now we know why you chose protein, why did you choose nutrition instead of exercise? For me, it gave people the biggest return on their time investment because everyone was eating anyway. Not everyone was at, yeah. was exercising. So for me, it was like, right, let's meet you where you're already at. You're already eating. You're already eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're cooking foods. All we're going to do is just tweak what you're doing, when you're having it, and what you're having, rather than saying, okay, let's go down to the gym five times a week and start lifting weights when you've never been to a gym and the thought of lifting weights makes you feel sick. So for me to, to help people, the nutrition side of things, and that's what I was more interested in as well. 
Yeah, that totally makes sense. And where does exercise play a role in what you do now? Of course, nutrition is going to play a large part of it. But what advice do you give the people that you work with on the exercise front? And what role does it play in your life now? So, okay, for other people, what I say to them is, what's the the most sustainable form of exercise that you can think of? Like, what, what do you enjoy doing the most? Is it uh, playing football? Is it going for a run? Is it going to classes? Is it walking with your pal? Whatever it is that you can see yourself continue to do, even once you have lost whatever, say you're trying to lose five pounds. Once you've got lost five pounds, what do you want to keep doing? If you hate running, don't run. You don't have to go to the gym. Or when you do go to the gym, even for every like lift weights, lift weights, lift weights, you don't have to lift weights if you would rather just go on a cross trainer. It's all about like, if you're going to go on that cross trainer three times a week and you keep doing it, that is better than going to the gym and lifting weights three times a week and only doing it for a week because you hate it. So it's really about longevity. For me, um, where we stay now, uh, it's, it's sport is the main form of exercise, not lifting weights. So back in the day, I was on like a five day split. Sometimes I'd go in twice and do like stretching or cardio or whatever. Now I hardly lift gym weights, but now I, cause we stay out in the country. I'm like, I just literally got a text from my wife. We were talking saying, I need you to come and move hay bales. Like try and move hay bales. They are <laughs> very heavy. I don't know if you're like swearing this pocket. We'll say very heavy. Moving, we're like plowing fields and lifting boulders and, and you know, moving horses around. So I'm still lifting, but just not the way I used to do it. Uh, and play a lot more sport. Um, play badminton, volleyball, uh, golf. I know we can debate whether it's a sport or not or whether it helps get leaner. It does. According <laughs> my best, I get a lot of steps playing golf. So yeah, very different to what it was. But we're looking at maybe putting a gym somewhere because I feel like I do I'm losing gains <laughs> I uh, need to get the gains back yeah I did want to ask that question how is your body composition now compared to when you were hyper focused and I'm sure I love the approach of giving people what they want to do and I always say that long when it comes to longevity the enjoyment is the most important part like I completely agree with that but I have to be honest with people when they come to me, they're like, I want this result, but I'm only willing to do this. I'm like, uh, you know, I don't think we're, you know, your approach works right now if you don't have this goal of stepping on stage. But I mean, you might be able to throw hay bales around and get into stage condition at some point, but you'd have to do a lot of manipulation of your calories and stuff. So yeah. So with that being said, how do you go about it when someone is only willing to do the bare minimum of exercise and it's not quite enough to get the results they want? And yeah, how's your body composition changed? Uh, well, that's a very nice way of you asking me, do I even lift? Uh, yeah, I've lost a lot of muscle from areas that um, you don't naturally maintain muscle. So upper chest, for example, I used to, like when I could be, I used to have, I remember, <laughs> this was like going super detail, but I remember when I had such a, such a great chest pump, my nipples pointed down the way. <laughs> that was, that's like the marker <laughs> of a solid chest workout. Now, that does not happen. Do, do not get a good chest pump. Shoulders. So the muscles that you have to train specifically in the gym normally aren't the same. But I've still got like arms because I'm still lifting. I've mm. still got back. Legs are not too bad either. But yeah, very, very different to, to what it would have been before. But it's because the training stimulus is very different. And to me now, I don't really care that I don't have a crazy chest after a workout. I don't. Yeah. It doesn't bother me now. But I think if someone says... Oh, I'm looking to build muscle, but they don't lift weights. I'm like, it's very, very difficult to do that. If you, if you want to build muscle, you, you need to lift. We need to get progressive overload and you need to have a, a decent program. But in terms of maintaining muscle mass while losing uh, body fat, that's easier to do and doesn't require as stringent programming. 
Yeah. So I think you've just got to make that sacrifice depending on what you want. Right. And I think you'll probably achieve a lot based on what you get started with and what you enjoy. But I feel like if you do run into a ceiling, then I think that's probably the time. And then also asking the question why you want to, right? I think if someone asked you back in the day, you'd be like, yeah, I want to you know, do everything I can to gain as much as muscle as possible and get this chest pump where my nipples are pointing down. But nowadays, <laughs> it's a case of not being so worried about it. And it's quite funny. I'm going to touch on this quickly, just out of personal interest. Have you noticed that men at a certain point, maybe when they do start to have families, when they do reach their 30s, their 40s, etc. They go through what is being often quoted as a menopause now where they no longer care for the bodybuilding side of things. They make a transition into maybe it's CrossFit, maybe it's some form of yoga, in fact, or something just a little bit more lifestyle orientated. Have you noticed that with a lot of the people that you're friends with? Because I'm sure you've progressed with a lot of people in the industry who are kind of with that same mentality as you. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, because back in the day when I was lifting all that time, I literally had nothing else to do. I was still working in the office. So I did my nine till five and then go to the gym, might as well lift or like go on T Nation, read about lifting or whatever. Um, <laughs> but now time is when you have kids, even before having kids, goals just change. And I suppose back in the day as well, I want to, so vain, but I want to get in great shape to attract a mate. <laughs> and then met my girlfriend, now wife. Then I'm like, wow, you know. I'm done. It works out. Yeah, exactly. You don't need washboard abs anymore. Um, And as well, I wasn't getting paid to look a certain way anymore. I wasn't doing any fitness modeling, which had to make this this distinction to people. I was like, okay, I'm doing all this in the gym and doing all my meeting, but I'm literally getting paid for the outcome of doing this. Um, If you're not doing it, then why sacrifice so much? Like go out for your pints. Don't go to the gym five times a week if you don't want to. So yeah, I think it, it definitely does change. And I suppose the ability to recover as well. I never thought that would affect me. So, I mean, I'm 35. Yeah, I'm 35. <laughs> and uh, yeah, after doing sport or or, going, or any form of exercise, I feel way more than I did. And I never thought back in my 20s, I'd be seeing this in my 30s. I thought, oh no, that's, you know, my dad says that. Sure, that's much older, but... Yeah, all these little things definitely change. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a natural progression. You do see some people when they're like 50, they're holding off a dear life to bodybuilding and you're like, mm, I'm not sure I want to be there. But each their own. If it keeps them healthy, it keeps them fit, it keeps them in the gym. If you like it, that's the thing. Yeah, if you like it. Personally, now, I much prefer playing badminton with my pals than lifting weights on my own listening to Metallica. Like, I'd much rather have the camaraderie and the social aspect that sport gives that it's not the same when you're lifting. Although it can be, I know people lift with buddies and so on. And if you're in a really tight knit gym community and so on, but for me, it's, it's, it's just different. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Let's uh, get back to the kitchen. And uh, for those who maybe don't have much expertise when it comes to cooking, you said you had some interest in it, but I've actually worked with clients now, which was quite interesting. They live in their family home, their mums, their sisters, their brothers, they cook, but they've never had experience with cooking. So when I initially work with them and put them on a meal plan, they're quite perplexed with what to do. So what advice would you give someone who has zero experience when it comes to cooking? <laughs> the shameless one says one of my books <laughs> uh, no, no. Uh, the, if you do have uh, very little experiences yeah get a cookbook aimed at beginners one that doesn't require lots of ridiculous ingredients that you'll only use once that you have to buy on eBay because you can't find it in Tesco the supermarkets for example themselves have 
really good accessible family-friendly recipes on their websites. Like Tesco's got some great recipes, Asda, M&S and so on. They are good places. BBC Good Food, lots of good recipes there. Just follow the recipe. Don't try and adapt it at the beginning if you're not used to it. Like if you don't know what putting in extra garlic is going to taste like, don't do it or think, oh, I don't have chicken. Will this work with beef? Like in most cases, yeah, it will. But if you don't know, just stick to the basics until you start to get better. Um, watch some videos on how to properly chop stuff and hold a knife. Because I remember seeing people cutting things like that and you're like, like one little slip and you're losing a finger. So you need to get the claw, hold things properly. Sharper knives are generally safer as well because it's not going to slip off food and, and put into you. Yeah, just a couple little things. Yeah, how important are the cooking materials that you use? I move around from Airbnb to Airbnb and I'm so limited with what I have. I definitely have a pan. I definitely have something to cook on. But sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't have this, I don't have this. How important is it to have a good set of kitchen tools that you use? It is important, but again, you have to be practical. If I was you, I would have a carry knife sharpener with me everywhere I go because I hate <laughs> using blunt knives. So I went at Christmas, we were at my mother-in-law's and she's saying, oh, can you carve the turkey? I'm like, yeah, no problem. And honestly, Elliot, this knife was like, I'd, I'd been as well using my keys trying to cut it. It was just horrendous. <laughs> I actually gave up and did pulled turkey because nothing was happening. So if you have a sharp knife, it's like I said, it's safer because you're not going to slip and it's just much more enjoyable and it's quicker. So that's a simple one. Just get a good knife sharpener, keep your knives nice and sharp and that helps with cooking. Also having chopping boards, again, safety that you've got the rubber edge, they don't slide around, they're not beveled in the middle because you've stuck them in the dishwasher and they shouldn't. These things, yeah, often the safer things make cooking more enjoyable as well. And this isn't me being all, you know, HSC in the kitchen. It's just me being sensible and trying to make it enjoyable. Yeah. I'm not super extravagant, but I can definitely vouch for the knife sharpener. When I first discovered the difference between a blunt and a sharp knife, like I literally pulled it out like every few days. I was just like on my knife sharpener. And then, yeah, like you said, it just makes such a big difference, especially if you are trying to cut even things like bread, for example, or something like that, where you're just like, this is impossible. So no, I can vouch for that, but that makes a good transition into what about if someone is very lazy? That sounds like a lot of washing up, chopping boards, knives, what about the lazy cooks out there? You've got to realize that you've got to be willing to make some sacrifices if you want to make some positive changes. Um, we're not going as far as to quote the, to what have 5% of the population have. You've got to do what 95% are unwilling to do. Like that's a bit extreme when we're talking about just cut up some onions. But I mean, if, if time really is an issue, you can buy ready chopped onions, ready chopped vegetables. But also I would encourage people to cook in bulk. I cannot be bothered cooking from scratch every single night. Probably cook out of seven nights. I'll cook three nights. But every time I cook, it's for at least double who's in the house. So tonight, for example, uh, I've got pork stroganoff, which I made two nights ago, but made more of it, my recipe. And my wife's got a smoky beef and bacon chili that was in the slow cooker uh, a couple of days ago. So we're having different teas, but it's already nice. just heat up, cook some veg, cook some right done. That's a good point, actually. We mentioned like knives and knife sharpeners, but what about slow cookers, the air fryers? Are you big on those? I know you're big on the slow cooker, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm big on the air fryer too as well, but only uh, recently. We can talk about that in a minute. Um, the slow cooker, yeah, I'm big on because it's, again, it's really convenient time-wise. A lot of people say, what do you need a slow cooker for? Can you not just use the oven and cook on low? 
other than the fact it's much more economical, it's it's easier to scale up as well. You don't have to cook stuff in it. You can just throw in raw things, put the lid on, and you've got stews and curries and so on. Some things do benefit from cooking first, then go in the slow cooker. But for meal prep, yeah, I've got a big six and a half liter one, so I can cook like 12 portions of chili really easily. Air fryer, I'm new to the air fryer because, again, I just was, was always thinking, oh, can you not just do this in the oven and crisp up but it was a company who makes air fryers got into i mean i do very few of these posts but they're like do you want to do a sponsored post with our air fryer make a recipe and that send me the air fryer and try it and yeah it is really good because it anything that's crispy it makes it crispier so it was like uh kfc style chicken chicken with spices and cornflakes crushed up in the air fryer and it's super crunchy it's amazing uh wedges are really good in it too and it it's, they're really good if you're cooking on your own, actually. If you're just one person in the household or two, it's essentially just like a mini oven. So it heats up much quicker uh, and it uses less energy too. Yeah, I used to be obsessed with the air cooker. When I was doing personal training, I would come home pretty late. So I'd literally just chuck everything in the air fryer, go up, get showered, get dressed, come back down. And basically half of the cooking was already done. And by the time I pulled out my plate and everything, it was almost ready just to serve. It was like, it, it's a, quite a quote-unquote lazy option yes you might have to cut some things but it's actually a really good way to spend less time in the kitchen and like i said it, it comes out super tasty and you have to put any oil or anything like that on there right it's really the quickness is a thing because our oven normally takes 10 minutes to heat up the air yeah. fryer takes about a minute to heat up and often on friday night in our household is pizza night and we you now start doing the pizzas in the air fryer because it oh, just, wow. yeah it's literally like six minutes it's, it's less than half a time so it's good when you have a sleepy two-year-old who's been at nursery all day then like quicker tea is better <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely and on that note as well you've mentioned things like beef chicken pork and you're clearly not a plant-based person yourself i know that you do cater to plant-based in your recipe books i have seen a few recipes there so what are your thoughts on getting protein as someone who is either a vegetarian or vegan do you find it quite challenging? Do you find it there is a way you just have to make a little bit more effort? Yeah, everything you said there is correct. It is challenging, but there is certainly a way to do it. You do just have to make a little bit more effort. But whether anytime you have any kind of restricted intake, whether it be due to allergies, uh, any medical reasons, um, ethical reasons, personal preference because fuss eater or whatever... What you want to try and do is make sure that you eat as big a variety of the foods that you do actually eat. So I always use the example of beans. You know, beans are a good source of protein. But you say, what kind of beans do you? Um, well, sometimes put kidney beans and a chili and maybe baked beans. I'm like, all right, what about black beans? Do you ever use them? Or cannellini beans? Do you ever use them? Or pulses as well? Do you use red lentils? Do you use split peas, green peas? All these different varieties of the same thing. So you're getting a wider range of nutrients. So that's the key thing is don't just eat the same foods over and over again. Try and eat bigger ranges as you possibly can. And sometimes the argument is people say, well, I don't know what to cook with them. Well, fine. Go and buy it and then find a recipe to cook with them. You'll learn a new recipe at the same time. Mm. And do you have a way to make tofu a little bit more exciting? I personally don't mind it. I think it just comes to how it's cooked, but I get so much backlash from when I put tofu in a client's plan. I don't cook with it. And no, it's, I, uh, for that reason, I just, the only time I cook with it is if I'm doing a recipe with it specifically. But as a general, it's not a staple on my weekly Tesco delivery, no. Can I make a request that you put it in volume eight of the high protein network? <laughs> So I can get all my clients to buy it. Well, there's some to re tofu recipes somewhere. It might be in some that's not been released yet, but there's definitely, there are, there is tofu somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, 
didn't have much experience with tofu, as, as you'd expect. I'm someone who will have meat as much as frequently as possible on fish. However, when I was in Barcelona, I had this uh, takeaway meal from this like healthy, I think it's called Healthy Greens, actually. And they had an add-on. So I added on tofu to the chicken. It was delicious. It was like, honestly super, super good. So I'm like, it can be made well. I don't know how, but I'm going to ask the expert, which is you. So <laughs> I, I'm going to look out for volume eight and hopefully it's in there. But you mentioned... Pizza night, you mentioned your sleepy two-year-old. And I think you've got another child on the way, if I'm yeah. correct in saying. Yeah. So how do you discuss or how do you plan to discuss nutrition with your children as they grow up? Because obviously you don't want them to potentially go down the hyper-obsessed route, which people are generally quite concerned about, but you also don't want to be oblivious, especially I don't think it's possible for you to be oblivious based on the work you do. To be honest, it's not something I've thought about that, you know, this is this this strategy that I'm going to be following. But at the moment, we just try and be as inclusive with what we're eating as, as possible. And thankfully, our little one, she eats absolutely everything that we eat. We Even once she was weaned, it was never like, or mommy and daddy eat curry, you get chicken nuggets. It was always just, she will eat what we eat. So really fortunate. And she's got an amazing appetite and eats lots and, and likes to try new foods and so on. So we're, we're fine with that. We try and avoid things like, if you eat your broccoli, you will get your pudding. <laughs> because you're trying to sort of treat all foods as if they're equal, not that if you eat more vegetables, you get pudding. But I think it's just trying to have just common sense with it. And again, focus on inclusion and eating as much as a wide range of foods as you want, as opposed to saying, don't eat that. Don't. I mean, if she... Yeah, of course, we still let her have sweets, we have chocolate and so on, but it's not like, oh, you're hungry, here, have a bar of chocolate three in the afternoon, or, you know, I always post about iron brew, but I'm not giving her like a two litre bottle of iron brew. (laughs) It's a terrible (laughs) idea. Um, But if she wants a tiny amount of like iron brew that I'm having, yeah, you can have a wee bit in your glass. It's... Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that inclusivity. And if she grows up and she's like, dad, I'm, I'm going on a diet. What, are, what are your, What's your approach going to be? Uh, to talk her through what's the reason for doing it. If she understands benefits and consequences of it and so on. A childhood nutrition is something that, again, it's it can be very complicated. And it's, again, something I typically avoid uh, and don't give other people recommendations on. We'll do certain things in our household, but be different for other people. They can explore their own path. Do you think it's a route you'll explore later in life? It just, what comes to mind is, I'm not sure if you're familiar Joe with Ricks, Ryan Holiday. Joe Wicks, 15, is that what Oh, Joe Wicks. Oh no, actually, I'm not, I'm not putting you in, in the Joe Wicks category. I'm putting you in the Ryan Holiday category because he's obviously all centered around stoicism and mostly books for adults. And then as his children are growing up, he's like, all these children books sucks. And then he, he obviously right, creates okay. a book that's for his children. So I was wondering, we'll come back to Joe Wicks. I did have a question, but yeah. But do you see that something in your future potentially? Wait, at the moment, I honestly take every day as it comes in. I don't have a year plan. I've literally just like a couple of things ahead. So I honestly don't don't know yet. Never seen it. I, I mentioned Joe because he had obviously Lean in 15 and then he had a kid and yes. obviously exactly the same, got more interested in it uh, and then did Wean in 15 when he teamed up with a nutritionist and they did a book specifically for, for Dodden. Because again, that's really interesting. But to be honest, if I'm to do and go down another avenue, it'll probably be something to do with gardening because that's my my secret love. <laughs> wow. I'm like, don't know what I do. I don't know if I know enough about it to, to sell anything related to gardening, but he'll. Hey, who knows what yeah, the future holds. But yeah, I wanted to touch on Joe Wicks. When you said, you know, get a simple cookbook, is that obviously aside from your own books? Do you recommend Joe Wicks? Do you recommend, is there any other people out there for beginners that you would recommend their cookbooks? Well, it's funny you should mention this actually, because just this morning on Facebook, I posted a question saying, what is your favorite cookbook? 
that's not mine because I didn't want I don't want <laughs> to be like oh please don't my ego tell me which my I'm like I don't want not mine what's your three uh, and some of the stuff that came up was really good. I, a uh, pinch of norm has been mentioned a few times and I like their stuff, especially their new book. Uh, the comfort you one is, is amazing. It's one of those books that I read and go, God, I wish I'd written that. Cause it just looks amazing. The food looks great. Yeah. There is good stuff out there. Joe Wicks, I don't actually have any of his books. I've only had to flip through them in the shops and stuff, but yeah, pinch of, uh, norm. They're, they're good. Yeah. I've seen people's book cabinets folded with Joe Wicks. I'm like, how many times do you use that? Yeah, a couple of times, you know? So I think it's one that people usually pick up, but uh, yeah. Although I think he's done a lot of great work in terms of making things accessible. Although it is on the side of uh, just healthy and quick versus protein-based and, you know, expanding people's horizons. I don't normally buy fitness or healthy living food books. I'll normally buy like Rick Stein. He's yeah. my boy. I love his stuff. I've got all his books. I really like Turkish cooking as well. I like, uh, it's totally not healthy, but there's a, um, a series of books for British Indian restaurant curries, quick cook individual portions of stuff when you've got the big base gravy and everything. Yeah, I love them at the weekend. It's like a takeaway, but again, it's not the amount of oil that goes in it. You're like, not quite macro-friendly. No, I hear you. And two more questions, more fun ones. What is your favorite cuisine if you had to nail it down to one? Turkish. Turkish, yeah. And favorite dish yeah. from a Turkish cuisine? <sighs> I don't have a favorite dish. It's like picking your favorite child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, my favorite thing we uh, touched for is just the, the mezze platter. And initially, I just, I love the bits. I love that style of eating, just bits of stuff. Same like I like tapas as well. But yeah, um, you know, Turkish for me, the reason why I like it is I just love that blend of Mediterranean food with the spices coming in as well. It's just, for me, it's, it's fresh and oh, it's delicious. Mm, I might have given away the answer to the next question, but what's the best meal you've ever cooked? And what's the best meal that's ever been cooked for you? The best meal that I've ever cooked. I don't know. It's, I, I can't, I can't recall. I cook because I cook six nights out of seven. It's, you must have a top three. A top three that I ever cooked. I cook a pretty amazing steak to the extent that I can't order a steak when I go out because it's probably not cooked as well as I cook it. <laughs> or there's a risk when I, my wife agrees. So I'm pretty damn out of steak. But on my own recipes, uh, I love the Mexican lasagna. That's like all of my favorites. Best meal I've ever had would be we ate uh, at Andrew Fairley's uh, restaurant, Glen Eagles. Did the full tasting menu there, which was, uh, which was delicious. And yeah, when he passed away, that was a, a big loss to the the culinary industry. So, uh, but that was a, that was a delicious meal. But the best could be yet to come as well. There's, there's plenty of cooking to be done in the future. So hopefully next time we speak, you'll have your number one on your list. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so, mate. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I think you've enlightened a lot of us on protein and food in general. So where is the best place for people to find you and the work that you're doing and also pick up your recipe books and maybe get into your challenge as well? The best place to find me is if you go into podcast gift .co.uk and then you could download a free recipe book there. So 10 of my most popular recipes go into podcastgift.co.uk and you can download there, there and that's the best place to start. Amazing. And you're on Instagram as well? Yeah. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, if you search for me there, I'm the only Scott Batty <laughs> in fitness that I'm aware of. So yeah, search for me on whatever social platform you're at and you'll uh, be able to find me there. Amazing. Well, thank you. And just for the listeners who are tuning in right now, I bought one of Scott's book yesterday and you won't be disappointed. They're cost-effective, they're very accessible, they're very simple, but that doesn't take away the 
extravagance of the meals, the appeal to them as well. Even if you just watch the first video, you'll understand why I was instantly hooked and bought one immediately thereafter. So as soon as I start making them, I'm going to tag you in them, Scott, and then hopefully I'll have a lot of the people who are listening today tagging you in them as well. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for the share. And thanks for everything you do. You're doing a really quality job putting out amazing information in an industry that is full of nonsense and confusion, but you're helping to <laughs> cut through the good stuff. So yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Much appreciate Likewise. All right. I'll speak to you soon, Scott. Thank you. Cheers. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.